Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera News Updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. SNC-Lavalin is a textbook example of Canadian media's failure. No verification of the single quote-unquote anonymous source. No mention of other parties' dealings with SNC-Lavalin. Journalists not bothering to fact-check. Partisan journalists already acting as if a crime was committed. So all of that was a tweet from one newsreader about the Globe and Mail's blockbuster scoop on February 7th. The one that broke open the whole SNC-Lavalin, Jody Wilson-Raybo scandal. And that tweet is a pretty good representation of a lot of the early reader response to that news story. It's also super wrong. Like almost every part of it is wrong. The Globe story was not based on a single source. The sources were not anonymous. The facts were checked and verified. The journalists did not say or even suggest that a crime had been committed. And there's no basis for the assertion that the reporters involved are partisans. It is a very wrong tweet. It's actually kind of impressive how much wrong the tweeter at Picard resists was able to jam into just 280 characters. But can you blame them? The Globe story is written in code. It's a code language called news copy. I happen to be fluent in news copy, so I can translate this shit for you. Like, I know that the fact that the headline did not end with a colon and the word sources means that the Globe was able to verify what their sources told them. And and there are other little conventions and clues and signifiers that let you reverse engineer news copy to figure out what was probably going on. But how many people speak that language? Now, you might think that a reporter's first job is to report things to newsreaders. You'd be wrong. No, the first rule of News Club is don't get sued. So every line of a story like this, like a super sensitive story like this, it has been chewed on by lawyers, a tribe not known for their easy to follow language. The second rule of News Club is don't get shredded. Specific and descriptive language must be mitigated and generalized to make sure that the people who don't like your story can't simply label it false or fake on the basis of one semantic error and then just drive a truck through the whole thing. Trudeau tried this, by the way. He said, the story is false. I never directed Jody Wilson-Raybo. But the Globe had been careful with their semantics. So they were able to say, yeah, we never said that you directed her. We said your office pressured her. So getting your semantics airtight is way more important than, you know, writing sentences that actual human readers can easily comprehend. Engaging your readers, writing clearly and descriptively and compellingly, 
That is a distant third priority. And you know what? Maybe that is how it has to be. But for God's sake, can we at least admit that and, and, and explain it? If we are going to report stories of consequence, stories like this that some people think might actually take down the government, can we at least tell our readers how we made them, how we know the things we know and why we can't tell you the things that we can't tell you? Apparently not. Stephen Chase, one of the three Globe and Mail reporters who broke this story, accepted and then declined our invitation to discuss it on the show today. Stephen has been on the show twice before. He's usually very willing to talk about his journalism. But this time, this story, it made him uncomfortable. He has two co-authors on it, and it is still playing out as we speak. It is about as sensitive as sensitive gets. I mean, one stray word on this show that hasn't been legally vetted could have huge consequences for him. I get it, but I don't buy it. I think reporters should be willing, able, and allowed to explain to the public how they do their jobs. If there's something about your story that you can't reveal, you need to tell us why. This stuff is just too important for there to be coy little secrets. And the waves of misinformation and conspiracy theory that quickly fill those vacuums of unknowing are too dangerous to just let it lie. Now, it's not just the Globe's reporters who won't talk. We could not find one current Parliament Hill reporter who would be willing to come on the show and talk about just what they made of the Globe's reporting on this and about the culture and the conventions of journalism on Parliament Hill in general. They just wouldn't do it. So we got a former Parliament Hill reporter to do it instead. BuzzFeed's Paul McLeod used to cover Parliament Hill. Now he covers Capitol Hill. He'll join me first from Washington, D.C., and then I will talk to Ann Kingston of McLean's Magazine about the scandal itself and how it's likely to play out. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Emma Nickel, Sherry Mullen, Martin Sawick, Jeremy Keane, Anna McRae, Calvin Barr, Abigail Slater, and Dee. Hi, my name is Dee, and I live in BC. I support Canon Land because there's nothing like experiencing hope, frustration, and an existential crisis in less than an hour. Thanks for all the hard work that you and the awesome team at Canada Land do. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world and BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're, if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of, organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals, 
pre and probiotics and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. I know that Trump is about to declare a state of emergency to build the wall and everything, but can I can I read you some Canadian news? Oh, Canadian news. I haven't heard any of that recently. Let's hear it. You, you may be familiar with this one. I want to read you the first paragraph. This is like the nut graph that started it all, that, that launched this whole thing. From February 7th uh, in the Globe and Mail by Stephen Chase, Robert Fife, and Sean Fine. Heard of them? Yeah. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's office attempted to press Jody Wilson-Raybaud when she was Justice Minister to intervene in the corruption and fraud prosecution of Montreal engineering and construction giant SNC-Lavalin Group Incorporated, sources say. But she refused to ask federal prosecutors to make a deal with the company that could prevent a costly trial. I mean, you, if, if you kind of continue on through the story, you know, you can kind of pick up these little breadcrumbs. We know that it's not a source, but sources. The lack of detail is kind of revealing. It doesn't say senior government sources or, or sources familiar with the matter, just sources. We know that these were confidential sources and not anonymous sources because later in the story, it is said that, that they spoke under, under the agreement that the names wouldn't be used. So the story has been verified. My take on this is that the Globe reporters knew who they were getting the information from and were able to verify this information so that they could say this pressure happened. The story is not that we're told the pressure happened. The story is that the pressure happened. Yeah, I mean, this is this is always the debate that reporters have to have with themselves and with their editors when framing a story, because the more information you can give about your sources, the more credible they are. Obviously, at the top of that is a named on the record source. But when you're dealing with people who are unnamed, we do try to throw these qualifiers in of uh, senior uh, official, a source uh, knowledgeable of the thinking of this person. You know, we try to pump it up, but the more detail you include, it's all identifying detail. And the vaguer you are, the more you're protecting your sources. And there's always that battle between, you know, credibility and risking of outing someone. So you're essentially saying, trust us. Right. You're just sort of saying, like, like, I, I can't tell you who this is coming from, but trust me, this information is good. I can't tell you why. That's absolutely right. I mean, I think that's true of essentially any sourced story um, that you're, you're relying on the integrity of the reporter at a certain point that they have done their due diligence, that they have built up a level of trust in this source. Uh, but that's all behind the curtain. We can't see it. I don't know. I mean, I'll defer to you on this. I mean, I'm really just curious about the culture of access journalism itself in Canada, where your first concern I have to imagine is, is the information good? Am I getting spun? But there are occasions where you could know that the information is good, but you are almost certainly being used, even if you're not being spun. Like people give it. But but who cares? I mean, like, I'm actually not sure that that needs to factor into it. Like, it depends what you mean by getting spun. If you're getting spun something and that you're getting a slant on the truth, then, well, that's obviously problematic. But 
All right, let's say someone leaks you information about a minister doing something really bad, something that could cost them their job. Now, does it matter whether the person who's giving you that information is uh, maybe someone who'd be next in line for the job and could really personally benefit from taking down this minister? If you can verify the information, you've looked through, you've got it from other sources, you've got it from documents, whatever, the story is true, it checks out, do you really not run that story just because of the motives of the person who gave it to you? Everyone has an agenda. Everyone has some sort of motive. And most stories are not people out of the pureness of their heart leaking documents that show a lake is being polluted by an evil corporation, right? Like people have their own viewpoints and they have their own reasons for doing things. And a lot of them can be petty. A lot of them can be personal. But if the story is accurate, if the information is true, I just don't know if it's really going to bother me so much to know that someone else was getting something out of it by me running the story. You kind of asked two different questions. One is, uh, as you put it, do you care if somebody is giving you the information for their own interest? And the other one was, do you run the story? I think you do care. If somebody is giving you, you know, trying to create a political scandal against their opponent, that's sort of like, I'd love to report that part of the story as well. And then the second question, do you run it? Well, yeah, if the information's good and it's newsworthy, I think you run it. But usually the condition is you can't say where you got it from. The risk then is that you are allowing yourself to become not a tool of misinformation, but a partisan tool. Maybe there's a much bigger story that I'm trying to avoid by feeding the reporter this other scandalous story. Like, you, you, you know, nobody wants to be a tool like that. If, if you are being used to something that is dishonest or inaccurate, then yeah, that is a problem. But if people are want to see themselves as using you by giving information, I don't really care. I mean, Bob Fife, uh, one has credibility he is very well respected two absolutely you know everyone knows he works with sources a lot uh, but three and is a very powerful reporter for many years now has had very powerful media jobs so absolutely if you want to have an impact Bob Fife is a guy to go to and Fife is someone who you could say he's been used by people giving him information but if that's the case it's coming from all sides it's different parties he's taken information from let's say the conservative party and then turned around and written extremely damaging stories about them so you can still have integrity I fully believe, while also taking the, the, these things from sources. The question here isn't, does this journalist have integrity or not? I, I guess it's just kind of like, if you're ultimately trying to give people as much information as possible about their legislators, and you are like a arrow in the quill of political operatives who might be running kind of distraction campaigns or takedown campaigns to cover for themselves. I think that there is a danger when you become too chummy and and you're like, well, that's good information. I don't care about the bigger story. I'm happy to have this scoop. I, I don't know. I'm not saying that this is the case here. There is definitely a danger. And, and one, one thing that more access style reporters tend to do that I think is a sacrifice, is a trade-off is sometimes you will write a smaller, puffier story to keep a source happy. And for the people who do it, they see it as, I mean, it's like interest, you know? It's like it's like a small cost of doing business of like, all right, every once in a while, I'm gonna write something that makes this person look good because they've given me a lot of information that's really val valuable. And I completely get the ickiness around that when people hear that. I completely get how that seems unseemly. On the flip side of that, you publish a story like this, 
and you know Bob Fife uh, is is not in you know good favor with the PMO's office right now. One can imagine, you know. Uh, sure. You know, like you, you. I guess you have to be judicious about when you blow your chips, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, if you have integrity, and if you are someone who it can take a story from a person one day and then the next week turn around and write something about them. It, it that doesn't actually tend to burn relationships in the, in my experience. I mean, maybe in the moment people will be pissed, but they tend to come back and, and still talk to you. Yeah. And so I think it's possible to be completely above board there. Finally, I just want to like ask you, what difference do you see besides the size difference between the two countries? Uh, like, do, do, you, do you feel like there's uh, a big difference in how things work and uh, how conversations occur and what relationships are like between politicians and reporters and reporters and, yeah. and the press itself? The core of it is there is a temperamental difference where people are just much more talkative here. And also because they don't have the parliamentary system where it's party unity first and foremost, people are much more willing to talk shit about people in their own party or not even talk shit but like be open and honest about what's going on in their own party so source journalism i find works it's much more fruitful here i guess i will i will say that in the states because it's just much looser lips in ottawa i found it difficult to break through some of that party loyalty that really kept people quiet are there any circumstances, Paul, where a government official or a politician would try to feed you a story on the on the deal that they not be named in it, and you would say no, no, I can't give you anonymity? Oh yeah, I mean I've I have refused anonymity before. It's actually so fun because some some people are just they trade in that so regularly that when you say well no like they'll be all right so off the record and you say no no we're not going off the record it's they're taken aback because it, that i guess doesn't come up that often but yeah i mean absolutely there there are, are situations where i've just felt people do not deserve to have the privilege of uh going off the record if it's someone who is say in a powerful position that um has a lot of control over the situation, trying to talk about the situation as if it's not them. Uh, no, I mean, you, you can't inherently just do that. If you were working this story and Jody Wilson-Raybaud herself came to you with this information, would you grant her anonymity? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would. Now, with the caveat that I'm not saying I would necessarily just run the story based off of her say so right like i mean I, that that is the first step to the process jody wilson raybould again I'm, we're theorizing here comes and says this happens um that 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 is not the like all right cool we're gonna run with this it is the all right now we start to try to do some reporting and seeing if we can verify this but you know if you could get some independent verification of that uh, i think this stories like this which are of obvious substantial news value to the Canadian people and if it's the only way to get it out you know sometimes you're you're just going to err on the side of, of putting it out we're all reporters this is what we ultimately want to do is get scoops put information out into the public and you know sometimes it's like the tie goes to the runner hi Anne hi Jesse 
I'm speaking to you on Friday afternoon. How certain are you that by the time people listen to this Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the story will have evolved? I think we need to be detailing the hour and the second that we're talking, given how fast-moving this story has been. It's a fast-moving story where where no one's talking about it, actually. like <laughs> fast-moving vacuum, in a sense, that's being filled in various ways. The people who are at the center of this are either not free to speak freely or are consulting whether or not they're allowed to speak freely or are speaking evasively. So, And yeah. are unnamed sources. Yeah. And so we're left to try to read between the lines, pick up breadcrumbs, figure out based on who retweets who or who favorites whose tweet or likes whose tweet, what people... I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this with specific reference. You wrote a story in McLean's where you were trying to figure out from Jody Wilson-Raybo's resignation letter, let's read between the lines of what she really meant. That's right. right. It was deconstruction and it was really fast and it was just nine things that we might or might, she may or may not be saying to us via this resignation letter. Things like she thanked Everybody except for the prime minister. Right. Things like, I don't know, what else were you able to... Well, uh, I mean, she named her heavy-hitting lawyer she had retained, which tells us she expects a fight and that she's girding for it. She went right to real change, you know, trademark, which is the Trudeau brand, which swept them into a majority. She made the point that she entered politics with the hope of progressive change, reconciliation, all of these things. And she made it very clear that those remained her goals, but clearly by stepping down from cabinet, she felt that those goals could not be met within the Trudeau cabinet. One of the main things you pointed out was uh, reading some meaning into the timing of it, because the day earlier we had Justin Trudeau saying, nothing to see here, folks. I think the fact that Jody Wilson-Raybaud is still a minister in this cabinet tells you everything you need to know. And then the next day she resigned. Well, yes. And even more specifically, he was saying kind of, you know, almost smugly, well, that speaks for itself. It's not like we don't need to hear from her. And then it was a matter of hours later where her resignation was the thing that was speaking far more loudly and raising questions of the kind that caused me to deconstruct a letter in the way I did. And we would rather actually just have people's real sentiments than have to deconstruct. Exactly. But we we deal with what we have. And I think you did a very uh, good job of deconstructing. You know who else liked your deconstruction of it? I think I do. So you tweeted the story, as we do when we're promoting our content, and Jody Wilson-Raybaud herself liked the tweet. I didn't send a tweet out. Somebody else did. I and see. she liked that tweet. Oh, and like it was somebody noted. else was sharing it and then she hit like on the story. And she hit like. So it was clear that for whatever reason, she approved of the message. Just as she retweeted her dad after mm-hmm. he gave a pretty fiery, uh, he is bound by none of these constraints and said, you know, the prime minister just kicked her in the teeth to, and, and uh, demoted her to uh, the veterans ministry, which irrespective of how important that ministry is, In the government's hierarchy of what's important, the only thing less important is Indian affairs. Well, this has become a story about talking points and shifting talking points. And Bill Wilson has been out there supporting his daughter. And I think the image of being kicked in the teeth, which is one he's repeated many times in the media now, is the last kind of imagery a feminist government wants to be associated with. And I think that's quite intentional. And somebody uh, leaked this to the Globe for a reason. Somebody's benefiting or thought they would benefit from this. I guess the two predominant theories are that it was either Jody Wilson-Raybaud uh, and or her people, or it was SNC-Lavalin mm-hmm. and it blew up terribly in their face, which I don't find 
terribly credible, but do you have any thoughts on, on where you think this came from? Well, obviously, the root is who benefits from this. Yeah. And if you're going to dissect this on the surface, it looks like, you know, Jody Wilson-Raybould's people or whomever would leak this. But because we don't know so much about the political machinations at work here, I think it's a bit irresponsible to sort of pin it on her mm-hmm. because it's almost as if this leak leads so obviously to her that it could be other political operatives leaking it to pin it on her, if that makes sense. I mean, who benefits? This is the first thing that's really stuck against or might stick against Trudeau. Uh, so that that benefits the opposition parties. Precisely. I think it's, it's you know, very easy to sort of go, aha, she or her people must be the source. The fact that that is such a ready and facile conclusion should make us question it. Mm-hmm. The fact that this was obviously initiated by somebody's political agenda, I'm wondering how that affects you as you cover it. Well, I think that's a, yeah, that's a good question. It's something I've been sort of grappling with since, you know, for instance, when the prime minister came out on whatever day it was in Winnipeg to talk about how saddened and disappointed he was in her departure, basically turning the conversation about her behavior. And it was like he was throwing a bone and it was like, the you know, everybody went chasing after that bone, because he's a prime minister, because he's in a position of power, you do sort of your stenographer to his messaging. But at the same time, you have to question, it benefits him to make her the poor employee, the irresponsible cabinet minister who didn't get back to him, whatever, however you to want to phrase her, it. To denigrate her, basically. To denigrate her, yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, whoever was doing his messaging clear or helping him with it clearly didn't think that was a bad strategy. And in a sense, it wasn't. So, I mean, going back to your question about political operatives, yeah, I think that we have to be very clear about what is this story. This story began with an accusation. Let's try, to the extent that we can, to cover what we are learning about that as opposed to all of the red herrings that are now swimming out there. This has everybody buzzing who cares about this stuff and writes about this stuff. And McLean's is uh, primary amongst those sources. And, and you and your colleagues are just taking you know every possible angle you can uh, to shed insight or, or to opine or to figure out more about this. How much light is there between what insiders are saying and the kind of political class in Canada and what is actually making it into the press. Is this one of those stories where people know more than they're able to to share? Yeah, I mean, always media knows more than it can say. And this goes to sort of the larger question of, you know, respecting off-the-record stuff and whatnot. Nobody speaks to the media without having a motive of some kind that's self-serving. What does it tell you about the political culture in this country, the media culture in this country, like like the fact that we're just trying to read the tea leaves on this thing? Well, we have to go back to the fact we're talking about a story now that's just slightly over a week old. Uh, The Globe story came out on Thursday. It basically made a hugely serious, dire allegation about the government interfering in a criminal prosecution. Now, one thing that I find really fascinating is just simply the reporting of this. And I mean, I'm going to swing to another direction right now in terms of off-the-record sourcing. It's the counter-narrative which has been put forward about, you know, Jody Wilson-Raybould being difficult. The whole other conversation, yeah. which has nothing to do with the original allegations in which, in this vacuum, the media is, you know, kind of chasing. And again, nobody's just going people, at, The Canadian press oh, had sorry. a story that was based on sourcing from anonymous liberal sources. Liberal insiders. Liberal insiders who were 
were uh, basically a whisper campaign that Jodie mm-hmm. Wilson Raybaud. Oh, she was not. She was not demoted because of this SNC Lavalin thing. She's very difficult. She's been a thorn in the side of government. She's a pushy, know, broad trope. Yeah, yeah. We um, don't like that. Now, even before that, there were other reasons that could be in the stew as well. Like the fact that she has called out the government on reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Precisely. And then there are other ones. You know, there was a whole episode of Oppo dedicated to the fact that she was screwing up as uh, as justice minister in various ways. One of which I am a little bit sympathetic to is uh, that the, the law she introduced that basically gave cops crazy powers. It to, raised constitutional issues. Yeah, sure. to just demand yeah. drug tests from anybody for any reason whatsoever. Um, you know, the, the legislation she was pushing forward was was not good legislation, you know, so you kind of, but, but as soon as you bring in the specter of pressure from the PMO, I mean, how do you distinguish and differentiate these things? But it also goes back to the, what was the original allegation? It was about the government's behavior, not really about her behavior or her performance. And we're talking just hours after the Prime Minister has said that if Scott Bryson did not step down from Treasury Board, she would re- have remained Justice Minister. Yeah. So we're thoroughly confused about this. It, there are so many questions. Wait, I thought it was because she doesn't speak French. No, oh, well, the, apparently that has been <laughs> stricken from the reasons not why she was... They were just throwing out, like, uh, there's a million reasons where it could have happened. It could have been but, this, could have been that. So they finally came, got their story straight. It's it's just because of a cabinet shuffle. But it all came down to some deficit on her part. Yeah. You know, and now we have a new narrative being built. So who knows what it will be tomorrow or the next day or the day after that. Yeah. And, and, and let's be clear about this. It's not equally shared blame for that constriction on, on the ability to speak. I mean, Jody Wilson-Raybaud has some real uh, solicitor-client uh, issues to, to wade through and that right. she's getting advice on. Now, maybe there's more to this that will make it a scandal if we find out that it was a directive, do this or else. But it wouldn't have to be, right? She knows that she's there at the pleasure of the prime minister. He can shuffle her out at any time. They're making their wishes known. She says, no, I'm not going to do that. And then she's demoted. Now, maybe it's that. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a combination of these things. But... Stop me when I'm getting something wrong. Okay, well, here's what I think. I think that we can have a directive that wasn't a directive specifically. So the question becomes, and as the Prime Minister said today, another thing we do know is that he claimed that she asked him if she was being directed, right? So we know that for whatever reason, she thought she was being directed. She thought she was being directed, if that makes sense. Well, so, well, I mean, what I took from that, he's sort of saying like, hey, I'm not the one who directed her. She is the one who was coming to me saying, are you directing me? And I and I said, assumedly, the answer is no, I'm not directing you. But if you think about that in a different way, if she's getting all this vague pressure and she's like, what the hell is this? Wouldn't she pick up the phone, call up Justin Trudeau and be like... So are you telling me to do this, yes or no? Okay, let's let's strip this back to a case of workplace um, power dynamics. Okay. Okay, you're an executive you are with a company, and the CEO has a trusted coterie around him who basically speak often for him. It's understood that their word is synonymous with his word. Mm-hmm. This person, let's say somebody close to the CEO, comes to you to have a conversation about something that you feel perhaps uncomfortable about doing. Now, is the first instinct to go back back to the CEO and say, are you directing me, knowing that basically the order has come from the top. You go to human resources. This is what you t- they tell you to do in other circumstances, right? But there's no human resources here, and human resources is always working for the, the CEO anyway. So I don't know if that kind of triangulation where it's assumed that she should have gone back to him and the fact that she didn't is proof of something means anything at all when you look at it in terms of what she might have known in terms of feeling directed 
in the first place. I guess so. And <laughs> it's uh, torture. It's, it is. And ultimately, you know, all we know for sure is that uh, she was taken off and somebody was put in who is absolutely going to be on side with SNC-Lavalin, right? That we know. So that we know. And everything we just said gets filed under the voter doesn't give a shit, right? Like, that's not a scandal. None of that is, a, unless we actually find, like, evidence of a cover-up, evidence that an actual directive was given, nothing criminal, nothing scandalous. I would say that if that's all there was to this, it's a big nothing. Well, I think you can look at it another way. I think that we have to only, the only thing we can look at is what we know. And there's a mounting list of things that we we do know. And one of the things is a more maybe metaphorical thing that we know to be true. And that is the erosion, even detonation of this idea of the real change brand. And Jody Wilson-Raybould was a centerpiece of that imagery, really important to it. And what this incident has done is cast a spotlight on all of the other ways real change has not happened. I think that it is something that the Conservatives will be able to use should this stretch out in the months, weeks and months ahead, uh, that could be very, very damaging. It, it, it is sort of a, there's a lot of, a lot to unpack here. We're talking about Indigenous issues. We're talking about feminist issues. We're talking about government transparency. Well, this is the part that I think might stick. And, uh, you know, I, I talked about this with Ali Tagva on, on the Thursday show. But, but if this is a scandal, I think that it's, it's, the, it's the damage to the brand. Yeah, precisely. It's yeah. not, it, like... The, Corporate corruption, corporate cronyism, government, like, like that's just Canada. Uh, sadly, sadly, that's a hard thing to mobilize voters on. But this, the image of Trudeau kicking the first Indigenous justice minister in the teeth, in the, teeth. Uh, the, the image of Justin Trudeau saying, hey, reconciliation can go on without you. I don't need to have an Indigenous minister in cabinet. Uh, reconciliation is what I say it is. My friend can do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, th- these are things that feel to me like that craters the the concept of Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau saying, "Hey, the lady's with me." I think that should say everything. And then the lady's like, "I'm not with you anymore, buddy." That feels like it's something that is like relevant to the coming election. I think so, but what is also interesting to note is that today today being Friday, we're talking, Justin Trudeau talked about the importance of jobs. So he's shifting his messaging again, recognizing exactly what Canadian, the Canadian electoral, you know, electorate cares about, and that is jobs, that's the economy. These are, these are things that get governments voted out or, you know, sustained. And the fact that there are X number of jobs associated with SNC-Lavalin has, is going to be an increasing talking point. We're just trying to save all of these hardworking middle-class Canadians. And after a brief moment where there were statements of support from various liberals and liberal MPs for Jody Wilson-Raybaud, and the conservative press got very excited because, you know, Sheer just can't do it. Sheer, Sheer can't seem to challenge Justin Trudeau. It's almost like the, the, the damage has to come from within. <laughs> exactly. He, he has to lose his own base. Yeah. And there were a couple of messages like that, and we reported yesterday, they got so overexcited that uh, there was a fracture within the liberal uh, ranks that they took a Gerald Butts tweet from a fake account. Uh, butts with three T's 
that was uh, blasting Justin Trudeau, and it was reported in Sun papers across this country as fact that Gerald Butts is now slamming his boss. It's not true, and they've since corrected that. But but this this narrative of liberal fracture is the only way that they're going to get any headway on this. And what I've noticed is that they they have very quickly closed ranks. He sent out Christia Freeland to say, you know, unequivocal support for this prime minister, leadership, leadership, leadership. And they're kind of getting their talking points together that this is about jobs and that Jody Wilson-Raybaud, we have agreed, can stay under the bus. That's right. And notably, a conference call that was held earlier this week was basically muted on one side so that there would not be any possible leaking of that particular um, conference call. So I think that there's great... Well, tell me more about that. I don't know about that. Oh, the, it was... Um, there was a... The cabinet uh, had a confab over telephone, and only Justin Trudeau did the commandeering on it. There wasn't a give and take, so that there would be no leak. Um, uh-huh. associated. That's the the conventional wisdom is that was the thinking about it wasn't to stifle discussion, but rather just to keep the messaging as clear as possible in this particularly muddy moment. You seem as giddy as I feel, because <laughs> it's this weird moment where like, a scandal has to have legs. If nothing more happens, this will be a distant memory. Like, this this will recede. But there are these signs, like the fact that indigenous sentiment around the country seems to be coalescing around, like, no, I'm sorry, you don't get to just do this without consequence. This this is meaningful. But then you've got Marie Sinclair's statement coming from, from Senate saying, like, you know, well, reconciliation has to carry on. If another shoe or two drops, then this could be the thing, you know, or, or nothing. Well, I think I think that's that's so. I mean, I laughed when you were talking about being giddy, and I don't. But I don't think this is a happy moment in any regard. And I mean, you alluded to that ridiculous pickup of the you know fraudulent Jerry Butts tweet. I find a lot of what's being generated right now not particularly constructive and not particularly reflective of what the media can do at its best. And so, I mean, in a way, I do hope that we can sort of contextualize this a bit, recognize, you know, what do we know about this? And there's a world going on right now. And it's like we've kind of converged on this story because I think it hits a, it's an ultimately a, a story about power, how it's exercised, how it's um, adjudicated, how it is Denied in terms of the cabinet shuffle, uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould walking away from a place at the table. Mm-hmm. I find all of this, and I think that that's part of what's really compelling. And going back to the point you made, it is showing us how Canada works, and it's not exactly a country that Canadians often, you know, smug about how good and nice we are want to see. I mean, that's what's got me giddy. Is it feels like the curtain is falling away, and we're seeing what's happening behind the scenes? Yeah, you know? I mean, I think that like you know, the true. sun is giddy because the idea that uh, it's a part of when they do it, it's partisan. When I do it, it's just good journalism. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> exactly. No, I mean, like you know, it's one of these brief moments where like you catch a glimpse of the gears, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm 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 excited for there to be more transparency or for things to like. I, I would rather more things get leaked than that, that it gets shut down. And, and, well, and me right too. now, yeah, it's, it's trying too. to get shut down. Well, I think that there is a collective effort to try to to seize the narrative, but I think it is out of control. And I mean, talking about, you know, sort of curtains being dropped, one of the curtains has been dropped on the, on, on the, you know, sort of the inner workings of the Trudeau government. We haven't seen the PMO, but let's just, I mean, let's find out who those liberal insiders are who are doing that yeah. uh, gossip mongering. I would like to know that. And the thing is that a lot of journalists know who that is, but yeah, can't say because of privilege, you know, con- off the record and also not wanting to be shut out of a cozy, intimate relationship. 
The combination of those two things, um, Trudeau and Freeland's imperious tone um, combined with this sort of like sneaky whisper campaign uh, to discredit character assassination, you know, like like those two things combined are the ones that have an emotional response for mm-hmm. me. Those are the ones that, that, to be totally frank, just make me kind of grossed out. And, and, you know, if there's anything partisan, it's not that I want one side to win as much as that's making me want him to lose. You know, like, like that, that stuff just, it, it leaves a bad taste. I think I, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. I don't think that... Be careful. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with you. No, I I mean, the thing is that I, yeah, I think that this has not shown the Trudeau government in a favorable light. And Mm -hmm. we'll see. I mean, will it, will it, will will we be talking about this in six months time? I don't know. Either I'm calling you frantically on Sunday because none of this is usable anymore, <laughs> or this is just a footnote on the path to the next Justin Trudeau majority of victory. I I believe by the time you air it, a lot of what we've said will be obsolete, but I hope some will remain relevant. <laughs> you heard it here first. Thank you, Anne. You're welcome. That's your Canada Land Show. You can email me. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com and I will read everything you send. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is CanadaLandShow.com. We're publishing stuff that you want to read there all the time. There is a new episode of Commons out this week. It is the last installment in Archie Mann's incredibly engaging and beautifully produced storytelling series about corruption in Canada. Corruption in Canada, SNC-Lavalin, Archie was ahead of the curve there, people. Go back and listen to the whole run of Corruption in Canada if you have not done so. It's excellent stuff. This episode of Canada Land is produced by Kasia Mihailovic. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like this show and you want ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, support us at patreon.com slash Canada land. Please do. Canada is a haven for white collar fraud where nobody goes to jail. It'd be God forbid that we put our rich people in, in prison. It's nuts because it's a province of Canada trying to figure out ways to circumvent the Canadian criminal code. When we thought they were investigating us and everything's going to blow up, he said, here's the plan. Uh, You kill yourself and I'll take care of your kids. How can someone who I've never heard of and who's not a public office holder be like the key influencer at the biggest school board in the country? There's no way you're going to threaten me. I mean, I am going to do what is right for my community. I'm Archie Mann, host of Commons, and we've dedicated an entire season to telling you stories about corruption in Canada. And sure, you've heard about Quebec. Seven arrests of former Liberal and Parti Québécois politicians and staffers on 13 criminal charges. But the truth is that in many ways the rest of Canada is just as bad. I've never believed for a second that the problem of corruption stops at the Ontario-Quebec border. Like, that is, like, you know, ludicrous. Take Sleepy Khaled in Ontario, where the mafia went to war with a small-town mayor. Her husband was beaten, she was framed by a federal official for tax evasion, and the provincial government? Well, they seemed to be on the side of the mafia. So then he told me that he had some serious complaints against me, and that they could go away if we make these lands uh, residential. Or how about British Columbia? 
Today, the BC government's estimating that billions of dollars a year of dirty money was flowing into casinos and real estate, fueling the housing and opiate crises. People bringing in reusable shopping bags filled with bundles of $20 and $50 bills. And no one did a thing about it. Then there's PEI, which embarked on a harebrained scheme to try to circumvent the criminal code and defraud the rest of the country. And now they're stuck in a legal battle with a former CFL player. I played football back in the day. You want double team, you double team. But you're in for a long day. I'm going to hammer you. I'm going to break your will. To hear it all, subscribe to Commons from Canadaland, wherever you get your podcasts.